Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris, Scott Lee's kicking off season two of the Surf and Sales podcast. That's right, 200 episodes in 2020. Uh, kind of made sense since uh, twos and zeros were going well. It's probably the only good thing that happened to Scott and I in 2020. Um, but we are joined today uh, with an amazing guest, uh, Sam McKenna, who is a early stage advisor, LinkedIn expert, outsourced BDR, SDR hotline, sales messaging expert, SKO keynote speaker, author, and award-winning leader, and often overly enthusiastic. So Sam, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, you guys. Very excited to be season two first guest. I feel like that's a high honor. So thanks for having me. You're yeah, well. glad you could be here. Richard, that was well done with the intro yeah. for all the different monikers. Well, and, and I did it all off the top of my head, right? Memorize um, on your arm. Quick, quick shout out to uh, our sponsors and our newest sponsor this year in 2020 is Salesforce. So thank you to Salesforce. 2021, Richard. It's 2021. Oh, thank you. There it is. That's it. Scott, it's going to be no longer Richard, you're on mute to Richard. It's 2021. Uh, so thanks to Salesforce, Vidyard, Lead411, and Gong.io. All this to help support your sales organization and beyond, particularly with Salesforce and Revenue Cloud. Uh, so thank you to every, all of them for joining us. So Sam, enough about us. Let's talk about you. Um, so where did you even decide you liked being in sales? Oh God, right? Um, I think you know I'm the I'm the same person like everybody else. I fell into this. Uh, I was offered my first sales job and I turned it down. Um, and then I negotiated for five thousand dollars more in annual salary. Still very proud of that. <laughs> and when I got that job, I thought, how how am I going to be successful in this? But I think one of the things that um, makes me love this job and makes me realize that I love sales is that I really look at it as we're helping people. Right? Everybody's got a challenge. They've got something they're looking to solve. They've got, you know, technology they hate or a service they hate or a challenge they come across every day. And we get to solve that for them. And I, I love the helpfulness of that. Uh, I would walk through fire to help almost anybody. So the fact that I get to do that for a living is, is pretty awesome. Yep. Um, so a couple of things I want to go into is the first thing that sort of popped into my mind is that, um, and I actually want to know, I'll come back to it. I want to know, so you fell into it what even made you want to take the first interview, regardless of turning it down? What made you even go, all right, let me give this a shot? Yeah, so there's a um, there's a venture capitalist here in D.C. called Paul Villela. D.C. is where I live. And Paul was a guy I really respected. I still do, I should say. He's coming to my wedding. Um, but Paul was amazing. And he was like, you should take a job in sales. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. And he's like, take this interview. I think you'll really like it. And it was um, it was actually being an account manager. And he's like, you just get to help people and grow the business and just basically order take. That's what he sold me on anyway for account management. And so I took the took the interview. Then I got the cold feet. And I thought I'm gonna to have to make cold calls. I'm gonna to have to pitch. This sounds miserable. I'm gonna to have to convince people to buy stuff from me. No thanks. Um, and then after the whopping new negotiation, uh, I ended up taking taking that first job as an account manager a million years ago. So this is the really important thing. You know, you said no and negotiated an extra five thousand dollars. And there's so <laughs> much content in the marketplace that, unfortunately, women don't do that, and it ends up costing them hundreds of thousands of dollars in their career, right? Because they're starting, you know, five grand means the next place is 10 more and the next one is 20. And so you're not behind. Were you coached to do that? Or were you just like, no, that's just sort of how it felt for me. I, I think, 
probably like you both. Um, I was, I feel like I was born a hustler, so I wasn't coached to do it. I just knew that I could probably ask for more and get a little bit more. And I think that's, that's kind of how I've gone throughout my entire career and kind of every, everything, but you're Richard, you're totally right. Like women don't negotiate for this stuff. They leave money on the table all the time. They'll take the first offer. Right. And there's, there's so much that we can do to negotiate, to ask for more money. I will tell you something too. Um, in early in my sales career, uh, one of the companies I worked for said, "Let's see how you do over the next six months, and if if you succeed, we'll give you a five thousand dollars raise. We'll talk about another five thousand dollars raise." And at some point, I had talked to a male counterpart on my team who told me that he had received a sixty six zero five sixty thousand dollars raise, and just wow. having that info. Oh yeah, just and same title, same responsibility, same everything. And knowing that information, being empowered to know what a colleague was making, which this was back in the day before we were really thinking about pay equality, um, empowered me to say that I wanted that, and I actually ended up getting sixty five instead of five. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> were you, were you, like how pissed were you? I was pissed. <laughs> Right. I, yeah. Plus I was the top performer the year before second, second time in a row. So I was super ticked that I was having to earn an extra five grand. Give me a break. So, did, so hold on a second, Scott. So <laughs> did you like, did you go call this out to, to your manager and say, I know this, how did you, I guess here's the question. Cause I think this is what people would like to know, you know, I think particularly women, but anybody, how did you handle that when you knew the disparity was, was that different? And how did you do that so as not to create a negative situation for yourself? Yeah. So I think you, I think one of the most powerful positions we're in when we are strong, consistent top performers, right? And I, top performers, I, I really emphasize the consistency because we have lots of people who perform well for six months and then they're like, I want everything. And you're like, hang on, slow your roll. So after you become a consistent top performer, that company, especially if you're a good cultural fit, right? If you're a team player, if you help other people, if you're not a jerk to others, if you are that person, they, they will move mountains to keep you, right? So it's just a matter of opening up that conversation, seeing that you've, again, consistently been that top performer and you've earned the right to have that conversation. Where I came to, I found out this information in March of that year. And then when June came around, I had almost crushed my number for the entire year by then. I think I was at like 89% of year-to-date goal. And I said, I am in a pressure cooker. You guys expect more from me every single month. You guys expect me to pull in deals when we're going to miss forecast. I always do that. I need a significant raise if it's going to mean that I'm going to continue to stay here. And it was basically just opening that conversation to say, you ask a lot from me. I would like to ask a lot from you back. <laughs> I'm going to interrupt Scott one more time. How would you say that? How would you say that? Or did you say it that way of like, if you want me to stay here, because that can be perceived as a threat. And to your point, if you're producing at that level, they shouldn't perceive it as a threat. And if they did, then, you know, shame on them. Yeah, but is there me. more, that's a Richard way to say it. I'm curious, you know, how would you say that more softly, but more just differently? Or is that how you said it? No, it is how I said it. I think you've got to play that game correctly, right? So there's a lot of people who come in swinging with bats and they're like, well, I'm going to leave or I've got, got another offer. And that's what they're that's what they're coming to the table with, which really can take people off. And they can be like, fine, go, go and chase that other offer. If you've already gone to the trouble of taking company time out to interview, to be, you know, to go through all the, the rigmaroles of an interview and then get the offer, then you're clearly one foot out the door. And I will tell you, for those people that those reps, if you're a leader, those 
reps that come to you and say, I've already got an offer, I'm going to leave, and you offer them more money to stay, on average, um, and Amy Volis, one of our favorites, will probably uh, check me on this stat, but on average, people leave within those next six months. So you're only holding on to them for a little bit longer before they take another foot out the door and then just leave you. But if that person comes to you, right, or if you come to the table and say, like, I don't want to look elsewhere, I love being here, but this is a pressure cooker. You guys expect so much of me. I don't think that the, the pay that I get is commiserate with what I should be earning given my performance. I'd like to talk about a raise or what we can do before considering going elsewhere, right? It's a different conversation than coming and say like, hey, I already have an engagement ring from another guy. I'm going to leave you unless you buy me a bigger one, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my God. Ouch. That one's that one starting right there. That would um, hurt, right? <laughs> oh God. Brutal. Did, would this... Would this approach be the same whether you were an individual contributor versus like a manager or a, or a VP? I'm trying to imagine myself as an SVP saying to my boss, hey, this is a pressure cooker. And I'm, and I'm wondering if there's a, a different type of conversation depending on the, you know, level in the org that you're at. I think you are probably right about that, right? And I, I have not been in an SVP role, but I, uh, where I would have to have a conversation like that. I would think, though, as as an IC, right? No matter how tenured you are, if we're talking to you know twenty five year old IC, or we're talking to a fifty year old IC, you're in a different position, right? You're in a different tier bracket in terms of pay. Like you know, you're you you're going to cap out at some point what your base salary is, and then where where the amount of money that you're really going to bring in is what your comp plan, your OTE looks like. But in S as, as an SVP, if an, I think if an SVP said to a CEO or CRO, hey, I'm in a pressure cooker, I think that CEO would say, that's why you have that title, right? <laughs> that's kind of what we expect of you at that level. Um, yeah. So I think your pay should be commiserate, right? But I think the conversation is different. And I think the conversation then becomes really tied to company metrics, performance, and revenue uh, versus just like the pressure and the demands that we put on you on the job, because that SVP is probably pretty damn heavily compensated. And if they're not, then they should look elsewhere. What do you think, yeah. Scott? I think you're right. I mean, I'm, the first response I'd get would be, "Well, that's why you're here. That's why we're paying you what we're what we're paying you." Um, yeah. But I've had I've had those kind of conversations many times before, and um, it went okay on on occasion, and it didn't go well on occasion. And the times it didn't go well, it kind of solidified in my mind that it was probably time to move on. And and the times that it did go well, to Amy's point, it was kind of too late. By then, there's yeah. something to be said. Something to be said for an employer like recognizing the value of somebody in advance before I have to go even have that that dialogue. At least, at least for me. Maybe I'm petty. I don't know. No, well, because I think it, I think at that point you kind of feel like it's too late. You're like, why am I bringing this forward bit, to you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I will say just to, to check a little bit of, of who I am and the, the kind of hustler in me when I the when I was having this conversation, it was on the heels of me, as I said, being rep of the year, and I had just been given my raise from the previous year, which was $30,000 total OT raise. Now, most people would say, that's amazing. Are you complaining about that? <laughs> Are you complaining that you got that amount of money as a raise? And I, I, I did complain because it was the second year in a row that I had did it had done it while doing monstrous amounts of things for this organization. And it was identical to the raise that I got last year. So I felt that more was deserved. So when that $5,000 was given for, you know, let's talk in June about the extra 5,000 and I actually negotiated the 65, 
I was really proud of myself because it was almost a hundred thousand dollar raise in six months or so. Um, but Fiverr, yeah, yeah, it was mind blowing yeah. money. Fiverr, what you're worth though, you know, the level of effort yeah. and everything that you bring to a company. If you know, if you know yeah. you are a star, then yeah. fight for it. If you're if you're gonna ask for a raise, don't ask don't ask for a couple of coins you find in the bottom of the couch. You know, you might as well take <laughs> a that, big hack at it. Is that what's in your couch, Scott? Five grand? Should I come over? <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't have that many coins in my couch at the moment. <laughs> um, you, you did. You're being Sam is being a little bit humble, Richard. She's been an RVP at On Twenty Four. She was the head of sales in New York at, at LinkedIn. Tell everybody here. We, we went right into it, but tell everybody here like what you do with Sam Sales and and give people context of like where your your sales acumen and sales leadership and your your background comes from. Yeah. So this is just going to make me sound like a, a conceited jerk, but over, over that's the my, course. That's my entire point of asking the question is to try to make you look as bad as possible. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me guys. Um, you know, I, I spent uh, 13, 13 years in sales being an IC and then being an individual, being an IC and then an executive leader. And over that time, right. I, again, the hustler in me, like I really figured out how to hit my quota, how to build relationships, how to be a challenger seller, relationship seller second. I learned how to do all that stuff. But I think a lot of it honestly just came from the hustle and the grind of what my parents taught me. They were both entrepreneurs. So I took a lot of that and applied it to my, my sales game. And so as an IC, I broke a ton of records. I think a, a dozen company records across a few different companies as a salesperson. And then eventually said, I know I want to be a leader. So how, how can I do that? Right. Once you're a really successful IC, nobody wants to promote you because they don't want to lose that revenue, right? As a top performing sales rep. So you kind of figure out how you can go above and beyond. And what kind of led to all, all of this, right? Um, in, in running Sam Sales and creating Sam Sales is just a consistent history of sales success and clients seeing what I've done, what I've been able to do for them, how I've been able to advise them over the years and building a brand on LinkedIn, right? Like you, you both know exactly how to do that. The content that you post, showing your subject matter expertise, showing your sales acumen out there, builds a brand for you and people know that they can trust you. So when I left LinkedIn in August of 2019, I was going to just take some time off. And I had a bunch of clients that reached out and said, we have absolutely no idea what we're doing. You do. <laughs> Come help us figure it out. And it grew from there into so much more than I yeah. ever imagined. So would it be fair to say that your your consulting business just kind of fell in your lap a little bit by these people reaching out, reaching out to you? That's what happened to me years yeah. ago. I started getting messages that were like, hey, would you ever help us? I, I don't, Richard was maybe more like a strategic decision to go that, <laughs> that route, I think. No, yeah. no, no, Richard. No, like I, you know, I started, you know, the story is I, I started my consulting business because I got laid off, right? Like, um, and it, and I couldn't. My challenge was I couldn't interview well. <laughs> I was always interviewing for the sales development leadership role, and I would always be asked, "Well, what role do you, you know, what do you want in five years?" I get that stupid question, and I'd say, "I want your job as <laughs> VP of Sales." And this was 2012. And what I should have said, and I've since learned is, I want to make this go global. Mm. I want to be head of global SDRs. And I just, and this is a challenge, Scott and I talk about this all the way is like all the time is that for some reason in my head, I don't think far enough ahead. Like I'm just, I'm so transactional in my career mindset in some ways that I'm thinking 
three steps ahead and Scott's playing much better chess and 10 steps ahead. So, so it, it did come from that. It did come from a couple of people reaching out to me, sitting next to Nick made on an airplane, ironically, and making, getting a second class. So it was a little different, but then it became a conscious decision because of the money. Like I was making in 60 days what I could make in six months. And, uh, and that's how yeah. it happened for me. But, but you know, you know, why, were you just burnt? I mean, LinkedIn, it's LinkedIn, yeah. right? Like, you know, everybody, it's, it's the brand, right? Like that, that'll get you in any no door. Right. I know. Yeah. Right? And what, I mean, what an incredible company to work for. I, I always, right? Right. I, um, I advise people who are going to go to LinkedIn for their first job. And I'm like, be careful. It is, it is like, you're getting to Mecca. Like this is it. It's never going to be any better. Like they will take such good care of you and pay you well and give you all the snacks um, and all of the things that you can imagine. Right. It's, it's tough to leave LinkedIn and go elsewhere. I, I think the interesting part about the departure of LinkedIn was the way I got to to LinkedIn was being an advocate for the platform. So I had deployed the technology of Navigator, LinkedIn Sales Navigator for any of you guys who don't use it, oh my gosh, jump on it. Um, but I had gone and I had advocated for it uh, via customer testimonial. And I was so excited about it that they're like, you should come work here. And I was like, I'll never say never. And then there you go. But even upon leaving LinkedIn, one of the, the most beautiful parts about this is I get to serve as one of their ambassadors. I get to be a brand ambassador for them, get to be involved in their marketing campaigns, right? And still advocate for the platform in, in every way humanly possible while running my own business. And I'll tell you too, like, you're absolutely right. Like, Getting to LinkedIn is huge, but even just having the experience under under your belt is a massive game changer, right? It adds such credibility to you because people are like, "Wow, like if you if you ran this at LinkedIn, right? Or if LinkedIn wanted to hire you, if you still serve, you know, in capacities to support everything that they're doing, like that must really say something about your sales acumen." Yeah, yeah. I, I want to ask. Go ahead, Richard. I was gonna I was gonna follow that up with you know when I my first real sales job, high school was and even out of college into management was the gap right and people said why would you do that why would you and i said because that logo will get me anywhere in my my next two career stories right and to the same thing with linkedin for people who are thinking of the startup community or SaaS or tech like there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking that role and and learning a ton with those companies at a company like linkedin because that will And you may stay there many, many years, which is great. Same with Salesforce, right? But you might as well, if you get that opportunity, I say take it because that's that's going to set you up for the next couple of well, years. It, it's interesting you say that. So back on the back onto the uh, the engagement ring analogy from earlier. So basically, when when I went to LinkedIn, it was a decision between going to LinkedIn in this role or going to run a startup, which is a competitor to one of your sponsors. And that's about as all as much as I'll say. And it it was it was literally it was like the final row was at you know the bachelorette here and waiting to decide was I going to choose LinkedIn or was I going to choose this other company. And what's interesting is that in the end, what really drove the decision to go to LinkedIn was that the CEO of the other company didn't come to the table with with his offer, right? He just, now now I've identified the the gender. Meaning meaning, meaning they like took too long to come to the table or no, nothing just ever materialized or what? Yeah, so they they said, we want you, come on board. LinkedIn said the same thing, here's our offer. And so when I called, it was actually in Tahoe, I called the CEO of the company and I said, I'm going to respectfully turn down the offer. I'm going to go to LinkedIn. The CEO said, I refuse to take no for an answer. Come, let's meet for breakfast, let's negotiate. And so when I came, he's like, I think you should just write up your own offer. And I'm like, 
don't you want to make me an offer? Like, I don't, I don't know what to ask you for. You're a startup. I don't know what kind of capital you're even dealing with here. And so we kind of went back and forth, back and forth. And at the end I said, okay, well, so here's what I want. And he's like, well, we don't do that. We don't do a signing bonus. We don't do this. And I'm like, bro, just write me, <laughs> write me an offer. Yeah. That's, so, that part is super frustrating to hear. If, if, you, if, yeah. you're gonna, if I'm going to say to Sam, listen, here's a napkin, write, write your demands on the napkin. And then I get the napkin back and I'm like, oh no, not that one. And not this one. What, what kind of game is that? <laughs> well, and I, I think what's interesting. not big enough. I need a bigger napkin. <laughs> the, the CEO went to uh, a mutual friend of ours and said, what did I do wrong? How did I blow it? And the, the mutual friend said, she, had, she already had the engagement ring from someone else and you came to propose with nothing. And he's like, that's your mistake. You can never do that again. But looking back in hindsight, like, I'm, I'm eternally thankful that I had chosen LinkedIn, right? Like it, it worked out, it worked out perfectly in the end because that logo is a game changer, right? The sales forces and everything, those are game changers. I will say on the hiring front for anyone hiring and looking at those logos, be careful too, right? You want to make sure that that person didn't work at Salesforce for like three months by virtue of acquisition, right? We want to make sure they were actually there on merit. Like they continue to you know, rise through the ranks. They continue to run the grind of being at a Salesforce yeah. or an Oracle or whatever. Um, so don't don't get too blind on the logo piece. Dig yeah. in. Important important to remember that good logo sales orgs still have rep churn and they still make <laughs> mistakes in in hiring sometimes. And you don't want to accidentally hire one of those people. Totally. Sam, I want to ask you about your uh, famous saying. At least it's famous to me and and Amy which is show me, you know me. Which way do I go? This, here, here we go. <laughs> there, oh, I didn't even notice. I didn't yeah. know you were sitting in front of it before. I literally <laughs> didn't even notice that it was on the wall back there. I, I love this so much. Explain to Richard and everybody else um, where that came from and, and what it means and how you use it, you know, every day with your clients and, and things like that. So I think we we talk about the idea of personalization at scale, which I is one of the terms that I personally hate. Uh, I think personalization at scale says to me, I'm going to input some brackets and outreach or sales loft. I'm going to list your university or where you live or people in the back. Say it louder for people in the back. Yeah, I hate I hate you have to redefine the word scale. <laughs> right. So. Awesome. It's it's awful, right? And it's imagine like you guys get an email and it says like Richard, I love your surf and sales podcast. Do you want to buy my CRM platform? And you're like, no. You're like, what about my podcast? What about you know what it what is it about the fact that I went to school here or whatever? And people think that this is the right thing to do now. So my show me you know me is show me you know me. Don't show me that you know I went to Florida State or that I do podcasts or that I was on Nickelodeon when I was a kid on a game show what of it, right? Like, what do you think about it? What's your personal tie to it? Like, is there a restaurant you love in DC, like where I live? What is it? Like, talk to me about that. And I think an interesting thing about that, and, and this applies to a bunch of things, but let's just even start at surface level with like outbound emails, right? We get people who say, don't connect on a personal level. Nobody cares that you know where they went to school and then you have something to say about it. People care that you can solve their challenges. Sure, they do. Absolutely. But for all of the emails that we get every single day that pitch and pitch and pitch and are just garbagey emails, if we just have one person who's like, hey, Scott, I took six minutes to look at your profile, dig into something you're passionate about, look at a charity you love, make a donation to a charity you love, whatever it is, I know something about you and I can identify with that. We can build some rapport. Scott's going to say, thanks for giving a damn. Thanks for taking six minutes out of your day to actually research me. 
I, I have no interest in buying whatever the hell it is, but I can help you and make an introduction to you, right? Yeah. Now, now how, why is it so hard for people to grasp this and, and just intuitively take advantage of it? For example, yeah. if, 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 if this was like a live broadcast right now and everyone could see me and hear me, they would know I'm having like the worst allergy attack of all time. I'd tell you like the easiest way to get an appointment with me today if somebody fucking delivered Claritin to my front door today with a little note that says, Hey, feel better, dude. That's like a guaranteed appointment. Like that that type of thing is so intuitive to me. I don't know if it's that way because I've been doing this for way too long or I just have it in me. How do you teach somebody that kind of intuition or that kind of give a shit or can you? Well, I think you can. So I think one, it starts at, at leadership levels, right? So if you are a rep and you're, you know, your leader says you are going to live and breathe and die by making a hundred calls a day, like you're never going to personalize. You're never, cause you're never going to be able to do that. You're never going to be able to personalize a hundred different emails in a day and then do everything else you have to, right? So it starts at the leadership level to say, we really value quality over quantity, right? So forget a hundred. If you can send out 20 quality emails today and get three people to respond, which is hard enough of itself, you can get one person to respond today. Like that's fantastic. So it starts there. But then two, I think people are just risk averse to this stuff, right? They are, they're, they're so sold on like always be closing quantity, quantity, make 500 calls, all that stuff. They're so focused on the old way to do sales that they haven't really thought about how to do quantity or quality, you know, quantity with quality mixed in there. I think the other thing is people don't really understand how to do those connective tissues, right? Like I teach this all day long to people. And I'm like, here's how you can connect the dots on something, right? We, we talk about something as simple as like, um, let's find somebody who lives in Vegas, right? So, okay, what do we know about Vegas? Have you ever been there? Do we know there's a ton of casinos? We know if you've been to Vegas, you've been to a place called Lotus of Siam. Has anybody been there? You guys been there before? Oh my God. Incredible. I will not, I I cannot confirm nor deny this. (laughs) It's food. Don't worry. But if you imagine, right, don't worry. Um, it's this like institution at a strip mall. And if you live in Vegas or if you've been to Vegas a bunch of times, you probably know about it. So imagine you find somebody who lives in Vegas and you put in the subject line, Lotus of Siam plus, I don't know, Sam Sales Consulting. You're going to get that person to be like, just teach and, and open the email and be like, oh my God, I love that place. It's fantastic. I'm so glad you've had it too. But just teaching somebody how to connect the dots to say, let's find something that you can connect on. And then let's go one level deeper on that thing. Right. So for the people like on the Nickelodeon show, people are like, I love Nickelodeon. And you're like, cool. Why? Like, do you have a specific memory? Like something. Right. Or like, I love your. I actually that was my next question, because maybe someone will listen to this and say, what game show were you on on Nickelodeon? Did you win anything? What were you doing? Um, was it the thing where more importantly, more importantly, where is the footage? Because <laughs> well, yeah, you sharing of it. You and I, my fiance, are on the this the, have the same question there, which she has watched I think like twenty nine episodes so far to try and find me, and so far no luck. Um, I was on Legends of the Hidden Temple, not the slime one, sadly. Um, my dog's gonna make an appearance here in a second. Slime one is the only one. Alana Morissette. Which one? Wasn't Alana Morissette on Nickelodeon was at one she? point? Was she, she on was. Mickey? No, Mickey Mouse Club, Kids Incorporated. Those were my dreams, no, man. Go look at it. Um, anyway, so, what did you have to do on this game show just for the fun of it and give people something? Well, I didn't get past first the first round, and because we haven't found the footage, I'm just going to say it's because my teammate was terrible, not me. So we'll just we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I did win a lifetime supply of Hershey's uh, chocolate syrup, which uh, no way. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Which incidentally just comes in a crate and is like 12 bottles, which I mean, like we're going to, our kids, we're going to burn through that in like a weekend. So not so much a lifetime supply. Well, that's not really a lifetime supply. A lifetime supply would be just that. I know it's crap. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, to add insult to injury, my whole family is European. I was born in Switzerland and my um, grandfather worked for Nestle his entire life. So when, when like Hershey's, which is like obviously a Nestle, just, you know, competitor and oh, just yeah. garbage. Yeah. Non-starter. They were like, this is terrible. And they were, they were very upset. I'm like, mom, cool. <laughs> it. I'm like eight. Like, don't give me a hard time. Um, I- but Again, yeah, this is just hard. People just don't know how to make, it's like having a conversation, just f- figure out something to connect with the person on. Oh my God, how do I teach people to have a conversation and be, you know, charismatic? This is, well, this is, this well, is me, the I'm, I'm going to go against the grain a little bit. I'm not opposed to hyper-personalization. It Zero, works, yeah. right? Totally get it. What do you think about the LinkedIn bots? What do you think of the linked helpers in the the duck soup and those things. It's all garbage, you guys. I I don't know who I'm offending. But what if it works? What if it works? Quality though? So like, so let's think about this. Let's think, think about the opportunity cost if we can really say that, right? So let's say we send out through, through one of these LinkedIn helpers, we send out a thousand emails, right? And we get one at some point VP of sales who hasn't really been sold to on LinkedIn and doesn't know the game of, of how this is all run that responds and we get a deal out of it. What about the 999 people that probably read that and thought, well, and then deleted it, that's right? So message. what's that? That's a shitty, that's just, that's a shitty message, whether right. it's an email or LinkedIn, right? So it doesn't matter. you can, so I disagree. Like I get, I've, I've crafted and taught people how to do this, not necessarily with the bot, but I could easily take what I do and put it in a bot and you wouldn't know the difference. You wouldn't know the, yeah, you wouldn't know the difference unless you've got the the surfing. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I think for me, you know, I, I, especially for me personally, like I want to make sure that I have a good solid brand. I want to make sure that I stand out above the pack. Right. And I want to do that personalization that that is important to me over the scale because I would rather have the quality conversion versus just spraying and praying and hoping for the best. This is my, this is my concern with, this is like a little sci-fi, but like, this is my concern with the direction of all these personalization tools and, and email like writers for you and everything is like, at some point in time, when I get a hundred messages and every one of them is so hyper-personalized, they know all these intimate details about me. And I'm like, how does everybody know that? I'm going to know it's not actually Sam and not actually Richard. I'm going to know that Sam and Richard are just using a piece of technology to, to exploit me. Right. <laughs> I don't know. How, I don't know how I feel. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. I don't I think, think I'm ready for that. I, don't, I think Scott, if someone does it well, you wouldn't know. I think it depends on everybody, it's just, hold, if everybody's doing the same thing, I will know. I'll, 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 I'll know everybody's using technology, Richard, and that will bother me. It, to, to me, the, the, when you uncover that it's something that was done automated, I think it just changes the, in my mind anyway, it changes the game for the person in the, in my mind for who that person is. Right. I, I know. And it's, it's tough. Like, what are, what are you going to do in terms of being able to do all this quality, right. And catch the scale that we're looking for. But I, I think to that point, if you put in the time and the effort and you put in the time and the effort to an SVP, to a CRO, to a Scott, to a Richard, to a Sam, right. 
we're going to say, thanks for, thanks for even doing that. Thanks for doing that human element. How can I help you? There's a guy that continues to email me and stay in touch and I will never buy his product, but I think of him in the back of my mind for how I can help him because he was hyper-personalized in the message he sent out. But it wasn't just like, I saw you went to FSU and that you were on Nickelodeon and that you grew up in Orlando. It wasn't that. It was, here's what I think about it. Or here's an anecdote about that, right? They're making that personal and that human connection. And I advocate for, for anyone else that's out there in a senior role. If you get someone who actually gives a damn, right? And does that research and tries to connect with you on a human element, give them like two or three minutes back and say, this isn't my purview, but here's my peer. And maybe they'll hear you out, right? At least give them a name, give them something to hook them up. I want to, I want to ask one more question about this personalization kind of thing. And it ties to um, messaging people over the holidays. Yeah. Which can bring up a whole other issue because I, I messaged you over the holidays. Right? Yeah. And I got this out of office message, which I never use out of office messages. That's like a whole nother issue and topic that we could maybe go into. But here, here's my thing. It's like supposed to be super taboo to message people over the holidays, right? Like leave people alone on Christmas Eve, Christmas and New Year's and all this kind of stuff. And you know, you can schedule send everything. Here's the problem that I have with this. I woke up to, I'm not kidding. I had like 600 fucking emails this morning Yeah. because everybody's schedule sends for Monday morning, January 4th. And if you know me at all, I would have much rather you message me on Christmas fucking day than today. Right? <laughs> so it's officially I, Christmas I, fucking day now, not Christmas day. I love it. <laughs> that's right. This is my level of frustration. And it, and it led me to say, I'm not working. It led me to like delay starting my work day for a couple hours this morning because I'm just like, I don't have the energy for this. I can't even deal. And, and I, so I did something else. How do you, how do you coach and, and give guidance to people over how to navigate this period of time that we just came out of this like two week bizarre period? Should you message people when the thought comes into your head? Should you leave people alone? I messaged you because the thought came into my head. Luckily for me, you didn't bite my head off and you said, oh, sure. Right. But it, it could have back, could have backfired on me, I suppose. What do you think about this? I can't imagine responding and being like, how dare you email me on the fourth? Like, geez. But if that's your initial response, like, oh my gosh, like let, let up, let loose a little bit. Um, I, I don't have a strong opinion about, um, it, leaving people alone over the holidays because we don't know what their schedules are. We have absolutely no idea if they're in the office. If you're in sales, you're in the office probably until like 11.59 on New Year's Eve chasing that last contract, right? Like part of what what I love about running my own company is not having to do that ever, hopefully yeah, ever amen. again. Amen to um, that, yeah. I, I think you don't know what's going on in people's lives. You don't know if they're with their family and they're bored out of their noodle. You don't know if they're like, oh yeah, I got to work so they can escape from their family. You have no idea, you know? And I think that there's no right or wrong about it. It's um, it's also like the weekend emailing. Um, you know, you, I email executives on the weekend, right? Or I'll teach reps to do that yeah. because pre-COVID, yeah. we're at our kids' soccer games and we're bored. I don't have any kids, but I imagine that's where I would be if I did. Um, we're out of, bored out of our noodles, right? We're looking for a way to occupy our time and we have less competition. Now, 
I will say just exactly to your point, right? Or in thinking about even posting on LinkedIn, you'll see, I didn't post on LinkedIn today. You guys probably did. I know a bunch of people who did. I didn't because you know what? Everybody posted on LinkedIn today, which means I'm not going to get as much engagement because I'm, comp I'm competing with everybody else's posts to actually get my post seen today. So I'm not posting, but I will post tomorrow because everybody's like, woo, it's the fourth. It's the first day of the year. I'm going to post. And then tomorrow they're like already off of their New Year's posting resolution. So I'll wait till then. But you know, what if I had emailed you last night? instead, right, Scott, I would have been one out of six emails that you got instead of one of 600. And right. you probably yeah. would have spent time personalizing it and you would have never read it. So think, just think about no, that. Actually, actually, I probably would have saw it last night and responded last night. And I would not have got lost in the maze of today. Yeah, totally. I will say too, like, think about you guys. Um, but I know tons of executives who prep for their week ahead on Sunday nights, right? They carve time out Everyone after the kids does. are in Right? Yeah, exactly. So if you pop in an email while you've got them working on something else, they might just read it and respond right then and there and say, I'm ceasing whatever. I'm ask you this you know. question. I'm going to come yeah. back. So this is this goes back to my initial point was, one, I think you could message someone on Christmas Day every day. Like, you know, when's the best day to contact someone? Today. Like all of but it's the message, right? Like if I were going to message somebody on Christmas Day, I'd be like, hey, if you're actually reading this today, it probably means you've had enough of your family too. Right, like, oh, yeah, right? see, yeah, and, and and to your point, I'd set it up with a bot, and you'd never know the difference, right? <laughs> Richard. So, <laughs> so anyway, so so it's it's about the messaging, but I think that that's really important. I agree with you on the Sunday night, Saturday. There's tons of studies that show that's pretty good. Although to Scott's point earlier, it's not as a well-known secret. It's not a well-kept secret anymore. So you know, it doesn't work as well as it used to. Uh, creativity absolutely matters. But I will tell you, if you haven't seen, this is just a shameless plug, well, particularly yeah. since coming on the show, but Corporate Bro did a video of 12.01 a.m. New Year's Eve, pretending to be calling people. Hey, you said to wait till the new year. I saw, yeah. <laughs> Classic video. He's like, like hammered. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he's my favorite. We're, he and I are going to get married one day. He just doesn't know it yet. So pretty excited about no, it. We're, we're, having he, him he, live. He, we're having him live tomorrow on bonfire session. So if you want to come on and propose to him, he'd probably <laughs> be hilarious. But that'd be, yeah, that would be a first for you guys. I, only, if my has, fiance only, if a bigger, only if he has a bigger ring. We've already heard yeah. that. Damn right, right Scott. So. <laughs> oh my God, you guys. Um, yeah. So I, anyway, I'm, I, I think the thing you're saying about, you know, not well-known secret uh, or a well, well-known secret now, not well-kept secret uh, about when to email. I think people still don't know how to do that. You know, I think like, look at Scott's inbox today, 600 emails set yeah. for, for the first thing this morning. I actually, yeah. I, I actually, you said something, I'm going to misquote you a little bit. So I apologize, but you basically said like people are afraid to shoot their shot. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what that's what I heard. Like people are totally. gun shy to send something. And I think one of the smartest things you can do if you're in sales in any capacity is to kill that part of your personality that's afraid to shoot that shot. Yeah. You know, um, what's it. the worst thing that can happen? Totally. They can yell at you for emailing on Christmas Day. Right. And then yeah. that's the one person that emailed you and everybody else hopefully responded or read it. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. you know, like every single sales training I do talks like starts with the idea of being different. Right. It's just it's not even a matter of being better at sales. It's a matter of being different at the way that you play the game. And I think this is one of the ways that you can be different. Right. To think about when you can email on the weekend, to think about how you personalize, to think about emailing over the holidays. Right. We're not talking about spamming here, but just think about how to stand out from the crappy 
sales noise that we get every single day, right? Master that. Think of ways to do the things that nobody else thinks to do. By the way, I just did my research and then I know we got to wrap it up. Um, and, and thanks to our sponsors of, of Salesforce Revenue Cloud, uh, Vidyard, Lead411, and Gong.io. Um, but Alanis Morissette was on Nickelodeon on you called You Can't Do That on Television. And what makes right. me really excited to say this is that I knew it more than Scott, and Scott's a much better music aficionado than I am. Oh. <laughs> That's true, yeah. but in a legitimate way, like in a sincere way, you know way more about music than I do. That was the slime one. I think that's where you got slimed, yes. right? There was like the up the nose and that was like double dare, family double dare. But the slime, double I think, was dare. you can't. That's a good one. Can we, should we offer, should we offer a $100 reward to anybody who can find the Sam McKinney Nickelodeon episode? Oh, I'm, I'm, in. I will, I'm in. I will Venmo somebody a hundred dollars if they find me too. Me too. There you go. Oh my God, you guys. Yeah. There goes my sales career. $200 bounty. $200 bounty. <laughs> or imagine if they just Damn, use that. We, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> how, can we, uh, how can we be helpful to you? That's how we like to end every show. You know, uh, any questions you, for us or something that you're uh, you know, passionate about on the side that you want to bring some attention to? I'll tell you a couple things. So one, uh, for not only for my content, but for Richard and for Scott's, the, one of the biggest things you can do to help all three of us is to engage with our content. So I posted about this a while ago, tons of people reach out to me and they're like, I'm always reading your content and it's so helpful. And I'm like, awesome, engage with it. Every single time you engage with our content, it furthers the reach of what we're, what we're talking about. And at the end of the day, while we're doing this to build our businesses, we're also doing it to just change the game of sales and to help people learn to be better. So biggest thing you can do is help and engage with our content there. Um, for any of you guys that are, are super charitable on samsalesconsulting.com, we've got a philanthropy page. We have four uh, charities that we support nationwide and local to DC. So if you're feeling charitable and you've got five bucks and you got something of value out of today, feel free to hop over there and support uh, one of my favorite charities. That'd be great. That's awesome. What what are the charities, Sam? Go ahead and, and drop the charities if you remember them off the top of your head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we uh, we support a local food bank to DC, um, which is, uh, as you guys know, this year has been a super super hard hit. Food banks in general. We support Junior Achievement. My heart beats for financial literacy, uh, which I could talk to you about for six hundred hours. We support the uh, Fisher House Foundation. Uh, we employ a ton of military and expat spouses here, so military support's near and dear to my heart. And we. Also also support an organization called Home Stretch, uh, which basically houses 50 people here in DC who are homeless, teaches them life skills, and supports them financially for two years, and then sets them free. It's a ridiculously awesome charity. So, uh, if you want to solve any of those challenges, we'll we'll welcome your funding. That's incredible. Thank you, Sam, for coming on the show. And, and Richard, she just like raised the bar of being a good human. We need, we're, we're slacking in the yeah, I was thinking charity like, game. Oh, I can have a charity page on my website. Like that's not hard to do, right? Like, that's super <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Thanks, Sam, guys. for, for Thanks, spending you guys. some time with us. I'm also glad it's the first episode where Scott hasn't had to say, Richard, you're on mute. So you know, we're kicking it's off. It's a new year. It's a new year, Richard. You Crushed have it, evolved man. achievement <laughs> unlocked. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. We really appreciate it. Thanks, you guys.